How many of you have ever heard, or maybe you yourself have said it, something like this? Yes, God is a God of grace, but... It seems people always need to qualify grace, doesn't it? All the time. I hear grace being qualified all the time. Tullian Trevigian writes, As understandable as this hedging tendency may be, a yes, grace, but posture perpetuates slavery in our lives and in our church. Grace is radically unbalanced. It contains no but. It is unconditional, uncontrollable, unpredictable, and undomesticated, or else it is not grace. He continues, as Doug Wilson recently said, grace is wild. Grace unsettles everything. Grace overflows the banks. Grace messes up your hair. Grace is not tame. In fact, unless we are making the devout nervous, we are not preaching grace as we ought. There is no way around it. God's one-way love is deeply offensive, frightening even. So much so that if you're not offended by it, you probably haven't encountered the real thing. Many of us know the story Les Miserables. For those of you that don't, I'm about to show a film clip and I just want to set the film clip. This is Javert. And Javert is a man who is deeply offended by grace. Deeply. He spends his time continually chasing after Jean Valjean, and it encompasses many, many years, this story. But the clip we're about to see, it, it's put together, and that's why I need to introduce it, otherwise you wouldn't, it, it would have been hard to follow. At the point we are introduced to Javert, it's well into the story, and he has been captured by some of the citizens during the French Revolution. Jean Valjean saves his life. Then I edit out more of the film, it comes around to where he has Jean Valjean in captivity again. And you'll see then what happens. Let's do it now. I'm proud of your work. You're next. Let me do it. You killed him in the alley. We don't want his blood in here with us.
you're dead, Javert. you taking me in? You're my prisoner. Do what I tell you. You don't understand the importance of the law. I've given you an order. Obey it. Why didn't you kill me? I don't have the right to kill you. But you hate me. I don't hate you. I don't feel anything. You don't want to go back to the quarries, do you? Then for once we agree. I'm going to spare you from a life in prison, Jean Valjean. It's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful. distracting you were able to get all of that that was being said offended by grace offended by mercy so much so that when it was offered <coughs> directly to him he ultimately couldn't handle it it made no sense to him it did not fit into his world view of law Jonah 
was also deeply offended by grace. See, the point of the Jonah story is God's amazing one-way love for the Ninevites, for Jonah. Jonah, unfortunately, was not a big fan of God's love. It was too unconditional. It was too indiscriminate. Jonah was more a fan of limited, exclusive, and conditional love. He did not mind that God loved him and his people. He was special. He was a prophet. But God's love for his enemies was simply too much. This is why Jonah gets on the boat. You know, it's funny. We grew up, we've all heard different reasons that Jonah got on the boat. And so often we learn the story of Jonah, and it ends there. Right? It ends, oh, and then Jonah went to Nineveh, and it ends. So we really never really get the story of Jonah. Jonah got on the boat because he was offended by grace. He says it in his own words. Oh, Lord, this is not what I said. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's why he got on the boat to go away. See, God needed Jonah to go and tell the Ninevites that he loved them. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach them. They're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. I love that. <clears throat> See, they were wicked, evil. They were known for all sorts of cruel and inhumane treatment of others. The list is very long. They were running from God, running from love. So God wanted Jonah to tell them, listen, you keep going in that direction and you will perish. Hate is not the way of life. Even Jesus said that. Live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. But turn around because God loves you and wants you to love him and live love. Jonah did not want to deliver that message. He eventually did, and it was a great message. The entire city turned around. Too bad he didn't embrace it himself. He wanted his enemies to suffer and perish. For they deserved that. And let's be honest, they did. They deserved it. They were into child sacrifice. They were into torturing prisoners. They were into a lot of things. And, and in our humanity, we're all about that. Let's be honest. We're quick to let people know who deserves what and that they should get what they deserve. But here's the problem. Deserve and grace have nothing to do with each other. They are diametrical. And when we live lives committed to deserve, we are simply living law. And law can never save us. And ultimately, law destroys even those who obey the very law they stake their lives on. Listen to what Jonah says after this. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's just like Javert, isn't it? These men were so offended by grace that they did not want to even live if grace is the final reality. So committed to law. In the musical version of the story, it's amazing, Javert <coughs> sings this right before he, he jumps off a bridge into the river. Damned if I live in the dead of a thief, I am the law and the law is not mocked. Granting me my life today, this man has killed me even so. Grace shattered his world. Here's the thing. He doesn't even understand grace which 
maybe why he couldn't handle it, but damned if I live in the debt of a thief. The thief is Bob John, right? There's no debt in grace. And you know, we Christians have done very good at bringing the law back into the gospel. And this is one of the subtle ways we've done that. We talk about we owe God something because he died for us. We don't owe God a thing. He died for us because he loves us. There's no debt in grace. Which is part of the reason it's so offensive. Here's the thing. Javert, I can almost understand. I can understand his story. Because he, his whole life was committed to the paradigm of reward-punishment. So when grace came crashing down around him, it was so wild, so not tame, so alien, he didn't know what to do with it. I get that. But Jonah? The guy's a prophet. Intellectually, at least, he understood. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who resents, who relents from sending calamity. You know, this verse would be laughable if it weren't for the fact that it's so, so sad. This guy just got an entire city to repent. And he's pissed about it. Here's the thing. So many of us feel exactly the same way about God's love. See, we don't always say it in such clear words, but every time we don't love others, every time, even our enemy, every time we don't acknowledge that God loves them, and at least acknowledge God wants us to love them, when we do that, we are saying the same thing loud and clear. We expose a deep-seated, massive hypocrisy we all live. That the very nature of the God we claim to believe and follow, we despise. And what's more amazing to me about Jonah, is not only did he know this about God and didn't like it, he received this love in mind-blowing ways from God. See, Jonah did not... God did not send a storm to punish Jonah for disobeying him and for running away. That's not what the storm was about. He sent a storm because he, he needed Jonah to go to Nineveh. That's what he needed. Jonah was his guy at that time and place. He needed him in Nineveh, so he sent a storm. He knew there would be superstitious fishermen on that boat that would put two and two together and throw them overboard. So it was a good plan, and they did. And he didn't end up in the belly of the fish for three days either because he was being punished or for running away. The fish saved his life. They couldn't even row to shore. The storm was so bad. He obviously wasn't going to be able to swim. So God, well, I'll save your life, Jonah. I love you. God loved Jonah even when he was running away. God loved the Ninevites even when they were running away. Just like God loves us all the time. For some reason, Jonah never really grasped the absolute love God had for him. He never really understood that love is not a reward for being special or being chosen or being good. Simply because God is a God of love and loves us all, good, bad, or other. It's such a hard thing to wrap our heads around. Because from the time we're born, 
we live in a conditional environment. So we just assume God's condition. I can't help reading the book of Jonah and thinking St. Paul must have spent a lot of time in this book before he wrote his epic masterpiece, The Love. For Jonah's life echoes of the opening poem that, that we have been spending some time in. If I speak in the tongues of men but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body, God, I gain but do not have love, I gain nothing. Jonah was nothing. Jonah is one of the most pitiful characters in the entire Bible, and the Bible is filled with pitiful characters. To read Jonah and not be left... feeling horrible for this guy. At the end of the book of Jonah, it's just an angry, bitter man, completely disgusted with the God he claims to believe in. He's nothing. And remember when we looked at this and I said, when we don't have love, it's not our gifts that are at risk. It's we're at risk. Remember I said that? Some of you who are here? That's so important to grasp. See, there's another thing we do with law and Christianity, and we have this assumption that God can only use us when we're perfect. That is one of the most damaging teachings in Christianity. It's not true. Read the Bible. Jonas, I don't know if God's used me to lead one person to Christ. Jonah led an entire city. But reading the story of Jonah, I'm not convinced I'm ever going to meet Jonah. Unless the prologue is amazing, I, he rejects love. He rejects grace. Here's the other thing why I think Paul spent a lot of time in the book of Jonah before he wrote this epic masterpiece. Is he says this about love. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's how God loved Jonah. That's how God loved the Ninevites. Exactly like that. We're going to start considering this next time. We've been on this centerpiece of Paul's library for a few weeks, and we're going we're gonna to start considering verses 4 through 8 next time. But I thought just a quick look at Jonah would be a good introduction to what we start to get into. In the meantime, let's think on this. William Blake, perhaps echoing St. Paul, wrote, We are put on this earth for a little space that we may learn to bear the beams of love. God offers us unconditional love so we can in turn offer it to others. Jonah's story suggests two powerful lessons that can help us bear these beams of love. They're sort of for both sides of the church. I don't mean both sides of Canaan. I mean wherever you happen to be in the big church. First lesson, if God loved Jonah in the Ninevites, then we never have to feel as though we are not good enough for God or not worthy of or not deserving of God's love. We do not need to spend our time and energies trying to manipulate him and secure his love. 
putting out bowls of milk like we talked about last week. We can stop judging ourselves, and we can stop being afraid that God doesn't love us unless we are perfect. The Ninevites did absolutely nothing to earn God's love. Nothing. And Jonah was in the process of running away from God, but God continued to love him. So if we are having trouble receiving God's love because of our own illusions that we have to live up to a certain standard, please let it go and know we're loved. Full stop, as we are. Even if the rest of the world makes you jump through hoops, and even if Christians who unfortunately have been made to jump through hoops their whole Christianity think that that's what Christianity is about, it's not. We are loved full stop. And when we receive that kind of love, it will transform us. And we will be able to love others. Now, on the other side of the church, where I sort of fall into, perhaps like Jonah, it's not so much feeling unworthy, but maybe we have misunderstood why God loves us. Maybe we have slowly, over the years of practicing a transactional Christianity, have lost the awareness that we too are loved. Not because of what we do, but despite what we do. Maybe we have slowly fallen into a religion of conditional love, where we imagine we are loved by God because we're good. Or because we're in the club. Or because we think the correct things. And now, instead of living thankfully, living Eucharistic life, where we're always thankful to God for being loved unconditionally, we simply have an attitude of entitlement that has caused us to grow cold and indifferent to the needs of others. The needs of others to be loved, including our enemies. Maybe we now live like Javert. Maybe we live like Jonah. Committed to the law and unwilling to love the least deserving because we have forgotten we too are the least deserving. Unwilling to love those who are just absolute pain in our butts because we forget we're in absolute pain in everybody's butt too. Spiritual arrogance is nothing but the law in another form. And I submit to you, it is far more dangerous than spiritual depravity. Because the spiritually depraved are at least one moment away from falling on their knees and begging for mercy from a merciful God. The spiritually arrogant, not so So recognizing our own need for unconditional love is a sure way to break free of these chains of love. If Jonah just understood why he was loved. Maybe he could have understood why God loved the enemy. Yes, one-way love, as Trevigian calls it, is offensive. And to really understand the God, depths of God's love for us is to be offensive. But we do not need to be offended into death, like Jonah and Javert we can be offended into life like the Ninevites. And once we are, let's go and offend others with the same one-way love. May God help us all. Thank you for being just who